Payments Podcast from Bottomline Technologies. Within the payments community, we all have a duty of care to our customers. But what do I mean by this? Well, financial cybercrime operates silently like a slick, oiled machine. And when customers entrust us with their payments, money and data, it's our joint responsibility to protect them against these malicious parties. Hello, I'm Rich Williams, host of the Payments Podcast, and today I'm speaking with James Richardson, Bottom Line's Head of Market Development for Risk and Compliance. We're going to discuss what lessons we've learned in recent years with regard to payment fraud, the evolving threats that continue to emerge, and how, as a community, we all have a duty of care to ourselves and our customers to ensure we remain vigilant in the fight against fraud. Hi James, and welcome back to the podcast. Hi Rich. So I began there by referencing the lessons we've learned in recent years. But with payment fraud, we don't really want to learn from experience if at all possible. So how does one make the most of the mishaps that are observed in the market? Yeah, you're definitely right, Rich. We've learned a lot over the last few years. Actually, the the Bangladeshi bank heist from a few years ago, which we covered, I believe, in one of the podcasts previously, um, that was a real turning point for the industry as a whole. Um, That was four years ago. And between then and now, we've all learned so much about what the fraudsters are trying to do. And importantly, how their techniques have changed and evolved. Um, I think the good news is there's a big drive across the industry to collaborate um, and partner more and more to take action. So that's one of the pros that, that that have really come as a result of this. There are initiatives such as the SWIFT Customer Security Program um, that kicked off a few years ago, actually as a result directly of the Bangladeshi bank heist from 2016. Um, Other initiatives like the Shared Infrastructure Program as well, they're all around similar things. It's all about improving security controls when it comes to payments. Um, And actually, a lot of organizations that have taken the opportunity to tighten up those controls have already started seeing benefit as a result of that. Thanks for that, James. So what, if any, are the the biggest trends that you've observed in the marketplace in relation to cybercrime and fraud? I think the biggest thing that's shifted and and really changed our thinking about the um, the whole element of fraud is that this is now seen as in quotes, a professional business, a professional outfit. Um, So cyber fraudsters or hackers, however you want to call them, they operate in a collaborative fashion via the dark web. Um, This has actually created a bit of a culture in, um, well, like like a normal business, it's created cybercrime as a service. There's Pretty much everything runs as a service today, and cybercrime as a service is is kind of a new name um, that's that's uh, that's been applied to to what some of these fraudsters are actually doing. Um, here's the thing: um, we've seen quite an evolution in the methods and efforts that are being used by these criminals. Uh, there's a there's a report that we've done in conjunction with Strategic Treasurer, which will uh, be available to the audience members. Um, that will be published very shortly, that shows that fraudulent attempts have increased by 50% in the last three years and also shows that criminals are now differentiating their targets to really get the best returns without being caught. 
I think when you look at bottom line as an organization, payments are at our absolute core. That is what we do, is what we understand, and we've done that for over three decades. So we help our customers gain access into payment platforms, into payment gateways. But, you know, over the last few years, that has evolved to really continuously help customers detect deter and prevent fraudulent attempts. So this is around transactional analytics, suspicious activity, basically things that are just outside the ordinary of what an organization does. Um, We've seen, we've observed across our networks that fraudulent activity is being attempted by uh, people on the outside, being thwarted, being um, identified and stopped as a result of some of the measures Uh, that we put in place to help customers, Uh, secure payments being one uh, uh, one of the solutions that helps with that. But for banks, the average value is over £200,000. And for corporates, the average value is over £20,000. These aren't insignificant sums, whether you're a bank or whether you're a corporate. If you're a small to mid-sized business, £20,000 is not an insignificant sum of money. Um, So we see that, we observe it. um, And by the way, these aren't um, the large values that we observe. So there are significantly higher sums um, in the millions that we observe globally. Um, And what I guess what's, what's interesting to see is that A, those values are coming through, B, we're able to help identify that they're abnormal in the context of what an organization pushes through into bottom line. And so therefore, um, you know, thank goodness, able to, uh, to alert that it's out of the ordinary. Um, but for our customers, um, of course, what's good news for them is that this could have been a large loss, whether it's through fraud, whether it's through error, but it's damaged reputation. It's it's potential fines that they could see as a consequence if things did get through the net. And um, I think that's really what's woken us up. It's what's woken up the industry. It's worth sharing that a lot of the transactions that we see uh, across our across our networks that uh, that we'd kind of put within this bracket of um, of secured funds or you know potential fraud or error, they've been U.S. dollars, they've been in euros, and and some in sterling pounds as well, of course. Um, across the SWIFT, uh, uh, you know, pushing out into the SWIFT network, they would take the common form of uh, fin messages. Uh, So 102, 103 message types. Uh, But there's also a lot that takes place domestically, um, and that's across UK and Europe as well. I think I'd kind of summarise by saying what we see also correlates with what uh, gets published um, from Swift, actually. They, They produced a report about a year ago, just under a year, it was April last year, 2019, they highlighted some of the changes in the landscape around uh, the evolution of the fraud threats. And we see exactly the same um, across our networks, not just SWIFT, but across um, our, our, um, our transactions into other payment networks. And this is where, um, where we're able to collectively see that the modus operandi being used by fraudsters is shifting. Examples would be um, out-of-hours um, um, out-of-hours fraudulent attempts, that started shifting to during business hours, during working days. 
using dormant payment corridors. And the reason why they're doing it is because organisations have woken up to trying to put the defences on um, payments being made outside of business hours. So what are fraudsters doing? They're now trying to look like a normal transaction that sits within, um, within a typical day. Thanks, James. So there seems to be a lot that we can learn from these experiences, but uh, as is often the case, unless we apply that knowledge that we've gleaned, then it's largely a wasted opportunity, a bit of a so-what scenario, if you like. So uh, a company is actually doing anything about what they can observe. Yeah, I think so. I think that is, um, there's definitely, in the last few years, an increase in awareness of the issue. I, don't, I think we've definitely moved on in the debate from, you know, in quotes, fraud is bad, let's talk about it, to, uh, all right, we know that that's happening, and what are the steps and measures that we're putting in place to help fight it? I think the challenge now, actually, is... Are organisations really continuously improving their defences in three areas? People, so that's about the education. Are they continuously updating their staff involved in payments? Is it process? So what are people doing around the processing of payments? Are they, um, is it okay culturally to be able to challenge an urgent payment that comes down from the CEO or the CFO um, before it goes out the door? And then from a technology standpoint, has the technology been updated? And this is, it might sound obvious, right? But there's a couple of things at play. One is it's pretty common to have technology defenses in place now that were implemented two years ago. That's fine. The challenge is a lot of the payment world has actually moved on quite significantly just in the last two years. Anyone listening on the podcast, you've got to ask yourself, are you now making faster payments today rather than traditional three-day payments uh, through the BACS network, just to use UK domestic as, as an example? There is a significant shift towards faster payments within the UK, across Europe, globally. And a lot of the defences that were put in place at a technology end of the spectrum and at people and process were wholly dependent on like a three-day payment cycle. So it gave people the ability to have this kind of safety net that if something bad went through the door, they had time to be able to claw it back. That has now changed, it's going, and very soon it will be gone forever. So what's important is that the technology then gets applied and, and improved um, into, this, into this process. I'll say one last point on this, and this really ties perhaps to kind of why we're pushing um, a duty of care program, why SWIFT are pushing their SWIFT um, customer security program, why the uh, MAS body out in Singapore is pushing uh, greater controls on organisations and banks worldwide. Um, the issue is fraudsters don't wait for the 1st of January um, to be polite and respectful to organisations globally to make sure that they're compliant with a certain programme or regulation. They don't care about any of that stuff. What they care about is making sure they can cause maximum damage um, in the shortest amount of time and making sure that it's as lucrative opportunity as possible for them. 
Fraudsters aren't going to wait until a regulation is in place in order for them to act. Frankly, that window of time is seen as opportunity in the eyes of a fraudster. So our job, our job as technology providers, our job as um, industry thought leaders, speakers, frankly, anyone in the audience that is associated to moving money around the world is to ensure that we really understand what is going on and help raise the bar when it comes to security standards. So speaking about raising the bar and relating back to the original title of this episode, which is Duty of Care, uh, Bottom Line's own Chief Information Security Officer recently announced a Duty of Care programme to its customers. So James, could you explain to our listeners more about what Bottom Line's interpretation of Duty of Care means for them? Absolutely. So Duty of Care, this is about Bottom line, having a duty of care for its customers on it, on its network that it provides access to. And also, it's about our customers um, having a duty of care around their payments as well. This isn't just about uh, bottom line and its customers. This actually extends out to our partners, out into our suppliers. This is about everyone that touches money uh, within our ecosystems that this duty of care program really applies to. And to my earlier point, what we're really trying to do is create a movement that doesn't just rely wholly on an, on one particular industry regulation for people to do the right thing, which is it's kind of part of our mantra at Bottom Line is do the right thing. This is the right thing. This is about making sure that people are protecting their payments from the outset, not waiting for a regulator to say you should do something in perhaps 18 months time. For us, we work very closely with our chief information security officer and the team in really looking at where are the risks for us, for our um, our customers, suppliers, partners that push money around in the ecosystem. And what we wanted to do was really build on all of the good work that we'd seen Um, over the last few years around multi-factor authentication, so securing uh, login access for individuals onto systems, and really start taking that a step further. These are things actually that we've been advising, that we've been recommending, but now is the point in time where it's really seen, dare I say it, essential Certainly with what we see and observe that goes through our financial messaging um, uh, network across our bureaus, across our data centers worldwide, this is way beyond theory. This stuff is actually happening and it's very real. And what we're really asking the community to do is act upon this data is act upon the fact that the cyber threats are really evolving at quite a rate of knots and making sure that they have got the right defences in place. Very specifically, we're asking that organisations have got transaction monitoring in place, user behaviour analytics in place. For us, we're often seen as uh, the last line of defence. There will be multiple steps in a payment process, in a workflow. There will be multiple people involved in making the payment. It is not a surprise that fraudsters spend their time analysing the gaps in that 
process in the technology that exists and then looking to circumvent it. And that is why our technology has been successful in identifying frauds in over a quarter of a million pound in average value for banks and over 20,000 pound in corporates. As I said right at the beginning of the podcast, that's just an average value and there are far more significant values that, um, that have been identified as well. But it just goes to show that you don't want to wait for a regulator to drive the change. This is about the community acting and really making a difference. So James, why is this programme of duty of care so important to bottom line specifically? Well, I think we see a lot of payments. Uh, We've been involved for over three decades helping organisations pay and get paid. And we want to keep that simple, smart and secure. That's what we've always been about. And it's worth referencing that we see anything between 12 and 15% of SWIFT international cross-border traffic. We see um, 50% of traffic across UK domestic payments, Swiss domestic payments, and even out in Saudi as well, quite a high proportion um, going through bottom line uh, through partners. And for us, I think it's only right and fair that we want to see ourselves and our customers, partners, suppliers, all upheld to high security standards and regulations. Um, That is critical. And we're only going to solve this issue if we do this in a collaborative fashion. Um, You know, the the old uh, cliche of you're only as strong as the weakest link in the chain. We really want to make sure that all of the links in the bottom line chain are as secure as they possibly can be. And for us, where we see the fraudsters really upping their game, and I mean really upping their game in recent years, um, it's critical now that organisations up theirs as well. Thanks, James. So as we draw this episode to a close now, um, would it be fair to say that we have much bigger expectations now as customers and we rely on the trust that uh, our data and our money is being protected. And if we start to feel uneasy that that is the case, it can be quite damaging to the relationship of the parties involved. Absolutely. At a compliance level, you get it wrong. People get fined. People go to jail. Banks go out of business. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. We'll be back with some more podcasts very soon. And in the meantime, you can listen to more episodes on all things payments at the touch of a button using your preferred provider. And we'll see you all next time. The Payments Podcast from Bottom Line Technologies.